Well, today in the podcast, we have my friend Joe Thorne. And Joe and I have known each other for a good many years now. He's a fellow Acts 29 pastor, and he um, is also an avid podcaster. Joe, tell us quick about the podcast. Like, what, what's your deal with that? And um, like, how long have you been doing it? What's it like? Why should people tune in? Let, let me let me try to promote your podcast on our podcast. Well, I was a fan of, of radio for years. Um, I loved listening to uh, talk radio and long form uh, conversational radio and occasionally the, the morning zoo style radio where people are just hanging out and talking. So yep. I've always liked that. Um, when podcasting got started and it wasn't really called podcasting, I started listening to uh, some of those guys. Um, Chris Hardwick uh, started Nerdist way back in the day, and they recorded on their phone, right? I mean, it was just before he had the empire. Uh, Adam Carolla was another guy that I started listening to after he left radio or was fired, and he just started in his um, in his house. And so, and obviously Joe Rogan. So I, I've, I've been a fan of podcasting, in particular conversational style podcasting for a long time. Uh, I thought it would be something that I would enjoy if I could do it with someone else because I don't just want to lecture. I mean, I preach, I teach. So I wanted something more conversational. Um, And then when Jimmy Fowler uh, started coming to our church and we became friends and then he became an elder candidate, uh, we realized that uh, we have so much fun just hanging out and talking. And while our conversations annoy everyone around us, they delight us. And so we thought, why don't we start a podcast where we're just talking theology and experimental theology in particular, uh, but we'll do it instead of lecture and like lots of research, we'll just do talking. We're just going to talk about doctrine sure. and and life and do it that way. And really, there wasn't another uh, Reformed theology podcast doing that kind of a thing at the time. This was back in 2016 when we started. Yep. So yeah, we started up, uh, just started dropping uh, two episodes a week. And um, it's, it's, so it's been, what, it's been a what lot of fun. So what is... Uh... Real quick, if people want to find you um, everywhere they mm-hmm. where they search for podcasts, what should they look up? Uh, you can just look up Doctrine and Devotion. That's the okay. name of the podcast. Doctrine and Devotion uh, episodes every Monday and Thursday. We've got a website with a bunch of articles and some video content as well. Uh, so yeah, they can check it out there. And we're on every platform and you can, cool. you can find us pretty easily. So what is experimental theology as you guys define it? Yeah, well, experimental theology is... Uh, Generally, something that is uh, talked about and emphasized within Reformed theology, and it just seeks to demonstrate the connection between doctrine and devotion or between um, theology and praxis. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, experimental theology pushes all of these doctrines towards the experience of the individual or the church so that we just don't have a proper definition of repentance or the decrees of God. Uh, we can quote that and define that, but we also uh, pursue the experience of those things and the development of personal piety. And so some of the guys that you would read like that would um, William Plummer, his book, Vital Godliness, a treatise on experimental and practical piety is a really good book to kind of read and you go, oh, that's what we're talking about. So just experiential, experimental is another way of saying experiential. That's theology. helpful. Yeah. Like how our theology hits real life and our experience of theology in, yeah. you know, in, in, in uh, just the fact that we find ourselves in human bodies in real time and space. Yeah. I mean, every, all theology, whether you're talking about uh, the decrees or the covenant of redemption before time began between the father and the son, uh, Whatever you're talking about, you should be able to draw a line between that doctrine and the impact that it has on faith. Yes, 
Amen. Amen. So we're not just book nerds, but we actually know right. how the books correspond to my life. Yeah. In fact, I, I push pretty hard against um, people that treat theology like a hobby. Sure. Um, because it's 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 not a hobby. And I, you know, I, I'm a I love theology. I read a lot of theology, and I have for many years. I love the Puritans um, for all of their warts and everything. Um, but it's 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 not a hobby. It's life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the way that I define theology for people is that it's not the study of God, which is how I think most people commonly define it. Um, I, I would say that theology is the knowledge of God personally experienced and then publicly expressed, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's God words, but it's, it's, it's not knowing about God, but knowing God, experiencing that, and then you've got to articulate it uh, for others. You've got to proclaim his excellencies. Theology is not done until you are able to articulate it for another generation. Yeah, that's great, man. So, dude, uh, how have you been these last 12 months? I mean, it's been crazy for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, but you and I both kind of know the challenge of being pastors mm-hmm. in the last 12 months. I mean, how are you doing? How's your family doing? How's your congregation doing? R- remind our, our church who is listening to this, um, where are you located and where are you pastoring? Uh, Redeemer Fellowship is a church we planted uh, about 13, uh, almost 14 years ago. Um we were the first Acts 29 church in the Chicagoland area. Uh, we'll get to this, but we're not in Acts 29 anymore. Oh, okay. We left a few months ago. Oh, wow. Um, in a big huff. We cussed out <laughs> Matt Chandler, and we burned all of our Acts 29 t-shirts. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, and it, it, was, it was totally amicable. No, no drama. But, um, yeah, we planted about 13 years ago uh, with a good group of people, about 40 adults. Uh, we had good qualified leaders to start with us at the beginning. And we're in a city called St. Charles, we, which is about 30 miles west of Chicago. Um, it's where I grew up, so I know okay. these people. These are my people, and uh, I want to see them know the Lord. Yep. The, uh, the church has been the healthiest church I've ever been a part of in my life, and I would say for the first 12 years— it was extremely smooth sailing as far as it can go with churches. There's always right. a heartbreak and right. there's always sin problems you got to address. But the last two years have been pretty rough, uh, not in terms of the church shrinking, the church grows, uh, not, in, not, not because of any churchy drama kind of stuff, but because there had been a number of traumas, right, with a T, where people are really hurting and self-destructing and the elders are walking with these people, go walking them through this, whether that involves church discipline or just counseling. And so we really went through a a wearying stage uh, for the last couple of years. And then over the last 12 months with COVID and everything, um, that's, that's, I mean, that's been a real challenge, you know, uh, having to shut down for a few months and then starting back up, we had to shift to a new location because if we're going to socially distance uh, it would, we would not, we would have to have like 10 services because right. we have a small sanctuary. Uh, we had over 300 people on a Sunday. That would mean we had three services every Sunday. So we had to relocate to a Lutheran church that's allowing us to use their gym so we can socially distance and get everybody in there in two services. So there's been a lot of changes that come with that that have been um, hard. Um, some of our people haven't returned, right, because they're fearful of COVID. or um, And we've had some families leave uh, over you know, the past four years have been a, a, a pretty big testing for us because um, Redeemer is very consistent 
which does mean that we're consistent in our weaknesses too sometimes. Yeah. But um, we're very consistent. We haven't we haven't changed up. Um, we're very big on the mission of the church and what that is. We define that very carefully. But uh, over the last uh, year and a half or so, um, we've had a few families leave because um, some of them would would say that we're not uh, oriented towards social justice enough. Um, other people. Just, I mean, they wouldn't necessarily say that uh, in that way, but we get the vibe that that is part of why they wanted to leave. So we've lost, you know, maybe uh, five families during mm-hmm. that time. And for a small church, that's a that's that's a lot. And these are people that we love and care for and and have invested in over the years. So it's you know at the church level for the staff and for the elders, it's been it's been a harder season. It's still been a very good season. We see God doing amazing things. Uh, for the for my family, um, we've had a we've had a, a rough few years. Um, we had, we cared. We, we brought in my mother and father to care for them. Uh, my mother was very sick and uh, was not just homebound but wheelchair bound. She couldn't feed herself, bathe wow. herself, or anything. So, wow. so we took that on. Uh, we brought my grandmother in to live with us as a widower or as a widow. And then she died, and then my mother died after a long, dark season of her just really suffering. Mm. And um, so that was really tiring uh, for us. It was something we wanted to do, something my wife really believed we should do. Um, and now we're down to just my dad being with us. And um, and he's sick. He's got Huntington's disease. And so oh, we're, wow. we're helping him with that. So uh, at, on one level, it's been hard. And another level, the family is good. We're happy. We have fun. And my wife who has never done anything for herself in her 40 plus years. I can't say how old she is. Um, she has started jujitsu. Oh, wow. And legit, no kidding. I mean, she's there. She's there six days a week and she's there um, twice a day. I mean, she's very serious about it. And at this point, if we were boxing, I would win. But if it was a real fight, she, she can destroy me. It's absolutely terrifying. And, but it's awesome. She, it's something she loves yeah. and it gives her a, a sense of life, you know, that's different. And she's doing it for herself. She's in great shape. But what's really cool is this is the first time in her life where she is around non-Christians on the regular yeah. and re- has relationships with them. Yep. And she absolutely loves it. She's never had that opportunity before, um, always being in a Christian family, Christian churches, Christian schools and all of that. So, so yeah, uh, I, Kids are kids are good. Family's good in most ways. Church is good. Elders are good. But lots of challenges, as you know. Yeah, man. It's been a it's been a tough year. I, I've really just felt since um, COVID started um, that this was gonna. I could you could just feel kind of in the air that division is going to be something that we're gonna have to pay attention to as leaders a lot. Yeah, yeah. And um, how has that been for your church? Do you feel like you guys have been been able to weather the storm? Uh, we're not mm-hmm. out of it quite yet, but it seems like the clouds are parting a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that uh, let me bring this up real quick. I think that um, one of the things that we're seeing in our church that has never been an issue before is um, worldly, which don't mean unimportant, yep. but worldly controversies bringing division. Whereas we were always super united on theology, doctrine, piety, uh, community, gospel mission, all of that. And in the past, we had people vote red, blue, independent, and and no vote. And there's never been drama about it. Sure. Because we understand, like people are trying to figure it out, 
right? And I'm a big believer that Christians do not have a political party. We should not have a political party. Um, but you do have to participate, I think, and make the best decisions. And it's never been a point of contention. Well, with Trump, uh, that that changed. And, and right. people people really began to um, to draw some hard lines. And so it's definitely been more stressful in, you know, because of politics and some of the social issues. But at our church, you know, we don't preach politics. We preach scripture and we address moral issues because we preach law and gospel. Right. But, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't had too much when it comes to the whole mask and COVID thing. I've been really pleased with how the elders um, have put things together. Uh, we have one service, uh, first service is masks required. If you want to come to the first service, you're going to have to wear a mask. And uh, second service, it's optional. So pretty okay. much almost no one wears a mask at the second service. Sure. Everybody wears a mask to the first. And it allows us to care for people, you know, um, watch their con- conscience and and try to be careful while also not binding people's consciences and give them another opportunity if they don't feel comfortable wearing the mask. And our people have responded really well to that. Yeah, that's great, man. And and. And I, I am thankful. I've said this on the podcast in the past few weeks, multiple times. Like I feel like our people have really done a good job. Um, there's been little, little things here and there that we've had to have some heart to heart conversations with folks, um, where they're sharing with us as elders, and we're sharing with them. And but for the most part, um, I think we've had a few people leave. I'm not sure if it's been over masks or not, but yeah, we've had a few people leave, but it hasn't been this huge drama. And I know there right. is a lot of drama swirling around in churches and pastors getting fired, masks, yeah. no masks, woke to woke. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, bro, I'm just weary of conflict. Right. You know? I'm, I'm just weary of it. Like it's like, and, and that's not to say that these things aren't important, but Man, when it comes to like the personal preferences for how exactly you and your family are going to go about mm-hmm. um, loving your neighbor or the personal preferences and the nuances of how exactly you decide to vote and how you vote, like, man, like I would, I think I'd rather get into the nuances about that aren't preferential when it comes to dic- this Christian doctrine of <laughs> you know, um, the bodily resurrection of Jesus or his sovereignty or his, um, a doctrine of, uh, the goodness of creation or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, there's so much that we could and should be united over. And, you know, some Christians are choosing to, uh, draw, you know, smaller concentric circles of fellowship. Right. And, you know, even like, I'm a Reformed Baptist, 1689, uh, confessional, old school uh, in most ways. And um, and yet I've found that a number of people, even in my own camp, have become, in my estimation, overly focused on some of these social issues uh, from both sides, the woke and the non-woke. Sure. And um, though in the Reformed tradition, uh, the loudest divisive voices seem to be the you know anti-social justice crowd. But I, uh, and I think, that there's a place for those conversations and everything, but as a as a pastor, as a as a as a theologian, a public theologian, you know, we want to address the things that we're called to address. And so, I don't spend time from the pulpit, in particular, talking about presidents and politics. Um, but I do preach the full counsel of God, or at least I try to. And then that is then applied to how we interact with the governing authorities and the social structures and the sin sin issues in creation. So 
but I, that, that we had the opportunity to be, to be the most united, loving people in America. And I don't think we've done a very good job of demonstrating that, you know, between churches and right. even in some of our churches. We, we, we should have been able to show long-suffering, patience, compassion, uh, what with a, a stalwart faith and a, a, a tenacious hold on the truth. But there's just been too much fighting. And yeah, it's wearying, man. I don't... Uh, I don't enjoy it. It's uh, it's definitely not my bag. I'm not, I'm just not about it. And we, yeah. I mean, we've had people that have stopped interacting with us. Uh, some organizations are just like, you know, whereas before they would use my stuff or use our stuff from doctrine and devotion. And even though we agree with them in many ways, even on some of the social issues, but because we don't want to sign their social justice and the gospel statement publicly, because we think the way they're going about it is wrong, uh, we're out. Sure. You know, so there's just too too much drama when it's not necessary. Yeah, I'm 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 just weary, man. I'm weary. And and the thing that I've been trying to communicate to our church is of all people, Christians should have the maturity to be able to have differences along these lines and not mm. tear each other apart. Yeah. Um and be able to talk because we're filled with the fruit of the spirit. And if, and if our conversation devolves into the opposite of love and the opposite of joy and the opposite of peace and the opposite of patience, what does that say about the presence of the Holy spirit in my life? You know? And uh, I'm concerned about that. I really am. And I, and I start with myself. I start with myself. I'm not exempt. Um, but man, I just, I, I think one of the things that, landed on me last night. I was hanging out with a couple guys and sitting around campfire and we were talking about some of these issues and our conversation felt like it really intersected with my reading of Exodus 32 and 33, where God's people have been redeemed and their faith is very, very short and they're very, very willing to uh, forget Moses and his leadership and what's going on and Moses is up on the mountain. They don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's dead. Aaron, get up, make us a golden calf, and we're going to worship it. It's like God's people in mass have been a messed up group for a long time. You know what I mean? And so, you know, the fact that our desire is to bow down to some type of a political entity because it gives us the illusion of power in whatever way you want to slice it. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a golden calf would give those Israelites some illusion of power. We can make this thing in our image and control it, and then he's going to serve us. And it's like, it's just the same, it feels like, in for Christians in, in our culture. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. <sighs> People are, it, 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 it is mind-boggling when, we have, when we're the same. Right as Christians, we're we're all made in God's image. Uh, we're all equally sinners. We're all equally saints through Jesus Christ. And in our local assemblies, we're united around the gospel and maybe a particular confession of faith. And yet, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's supposed to be. It should be. Right. But oftentimes, it's not enough. And 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 people are very quick when we see serious issues in the world. And we're trying to make sense of them. We find a particular group or ideology that seems closer to our understanding of scripture. And then we latch on to that particular group 
politician or, or ideology. And we all, we essentially baptize it and say, that's the Christian view. Right. Therefore now, uh, my attempt at orthopraxy has become my definition of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So it's just easy to just cut people off. Yeah. And those, that can quickly turn into legalism Yeah, when it's like my, my preference, they should be in the level of preference, but we've mm-hmm. elevated that to God's word. And that's where church culture gets really, really squirrely. You yeah. Know, um, when, when somebody says, um, if you're a Christian, you have to vote for this particular candidate. Um, now you can make the argument. I think this is the best candidate to vote for as a Christian. And this is why, yep. but to say to vote any other way is anti-Christian is, is a pretty serious charge. Yeah. And I, I, w- I would wager to say that there are circumstances in which you could make that case, but it's, Listen, man, the, the Republican Party in the U.S. is a total joke. The Democratic Party is a total joke. Politicians are narcissistic, selfish people, by and large. I, I don't trust in them. Um, I want to honor them in their position, and I want to obey the laws when they are uh, not in conflict with God's word. But the idea that you're going to condemn somebody because they're trying to figure out how to handle their life as a follower of Christ in this culture and time. And they've gone a different way to essentially consider them non-Christian is way over the line. Yeah. Yeah. I just think um, when you just read the gravity of Paul's words, when it comes to unity and Mm. it's not like we're the first generation that have dealt with crazy political uprisings and crazy social you know, social things swirling around. We're not the first ones to deal with that. And and you can you can imagine if you study the history of the city of Ephesus or the city of Philippi or whatever. I mean, we're, we're not the first ones to deal with this. And yet Paul calls out, you know, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Yeah. And um, if I'm if I have all the right political convictions and I can articulate all the amazing thoughts of um, political philosophy and I can solve all the world's problems and social issues with my amazing mind and ability to solve problems, but have not love. Yeah. You know, it's um, worthless. Yeah. And that's, that's what Paul says. Right. Those things are, those are good things, but they are worthless if they are not accompanied with love. And the whole idea, you know, that, that we're told again and again, like you said, Paul telling us, like, let there be no divisions among you. Mm. That doesn't mean let there be no differences of opinion among you. Amen. It doesn't mean don't, I mean, Paul disagreed. Paul and Peter, Paul and John Mark, like, you know, people disagreed. And, um, and sometimes it was more serious than others. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have distinctions or differences, but it means that your unity in the faith trumps all of that, especially in local congregations. Yeah. So, Joe, let me switch gears here. Were you raised in a Christian family? No, 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 no. I, in fact, I didn't hear the gospel till I was 17. So I'd never, never been in a church until I was 17. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you came to faith. I uh, grew up with a mom and a dad. Uh, they loved me, and uh, they were uh, supportive of me. I had older half-siblings but they were either they were older than me by 10 years or so and only a few of them lived with us when i was young some were kicked out for you know drug abuse and stuff like that um but i was essentially raised as an only child because i didn't really have siblings to hang out with or play with 
Um, no church, no religious instruction. And the, the one mistake that my parents made was that I really didn't have rules except don't disrespect mom or dad. Mm. Um, I could do what I wanted, watch what I wanted, say what I wanted, live how I wanted. So whether that was, you know, uh, in, in the, when I was a young kid, like little kid watching hardcore pornography, it was like, nah, that's fine. You know, that's just you do your thing. So, I mean, I didn't have a curfew when I was 12. Right. Like it was just like, like no rules. Right. And, um, and so that is a kind of neglect that I didn't realize had created a lot of problems for me until I was much older. Um, but they, they did love me and they, uh, they did their best and most of what they did was great. But when I had questions and even at an early age, like what's the point, what's the purpose of life? Um, why, you know, why, why is there suffering? Why does life suck? Because you know, it, was, it was really hard being a, a white middle-class kid in the suburbs, you know, it's, it's a hard life. Um, I raised on the hard streets of St. Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Geneva. Oh, it's even it. richer. Yeah. Uh, we weren't rich, but blue collar middle-class. Anyway, um, the only answers that they could give me were purpose of life is to be a good person, get a good job, marry a good woman. And I remember thinking as a kid, so if I, if I'm not a good person and if I don't find a good woman, do I not have purpose? And I became very suicidal at a young age, um, mm. really wrestled with a lot of darkness, got into the occult, got into Satanism of various kinds, and I got into a lot of trouble and um, did all the stupid stereotypical stuff that, you know, you know, Christian movies are based on oftentimes. And um, I finally there's a whole bunch of bad stuff that happened that made me question um, my allegiance to spiritual darkness. But when I was 17, I, I met a girl. I was sent to the Dean's office again for whatever. And there was this girl in there and I was like, what's up? And uh, she was in there as like one of the good girls would go to the Dean's office to help. And then the rest of us were sent there because we did something wrong. So I was like, Hey girl, what's up? You know, we should, we should go out and see a movie or something. So we go out with friends. We see this movie. And then we go back to her house and um, I think her dad, I think the first question her dad asked me was uh, what's the name of your parole officer, which he was being <laughs> funny. He, he, he just looked at me and he, he made a joke and I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't have a parole officer. Um, but she told me about Jesus that night, huh. uh, whole, I mean, whole gospel, Christ died for our sins. And of course I'd heard about Jesus, you know, and I knew that Jesus died on a cross but I had never been to church, never been to a Sunday school class, never you read the Bible. Literally, never heard that message before. No, I'd never heard the gospel explained. The mm -hmm. closest would be that Jesus died on a cross. That was it. Sure. And I didn't understand what that meant or anything. I just, I just knew some bad people got to him. You know, that was about it. Sure. And I hated the church. I hated Christians for no real reason, um, really because of superficial um, caricatures that had been drawn of Christians. No Christians had ever done me wrong. So, uh, but she told me the gospel and over the course of the next year, I, God brought more Christians into my life who began to share this same message. And I found myself really convicted of my sinfulness to the point where I was despair. Like I was convinced that this God is the true God and I am going to hell and that's fair. That's what I deserve. Hmm. And I couldn't wrap my brain around the idea that, that, that God would forgive me. Not that God could forgive me, but I hated him and I hated Christians and I had done some really bad things. And so I just 
couldn't fathom that God would forgive me. I went to church, I think a total of three times that year. Super weird. People standing up, singing to nobody. Like, why, it's did just you, weird. why did you agree to go to church? Hot girl said, why don't gotcha. you come to church with me? Gotcha. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go check it out. You know, yep. I show up in my Slayer shirt, you oh know, my, my earrings and everything. And, but you know what? They were super cool to me. That's awesome. Those, those Christians. And it wasn't like a super theological church, just a, just your typical big Baptist church. They were super kind. And, um, and I remember I would talk to my old friends, you know, at the time. And I would say like, man, I just want to, I want to wake up and be a Christian, man. I want what they have. And they all agreed, right? Well, yeah, but you're going to hell way too late. So get over it. And then um, I graduated from high school, second to last in my class. And um, I, no, I didn't think I'd live to see 30. So I had no direction, no purpose. I just didn't care. I thought I'd be long dead before, you know, marriage or anything. So, you know, the, I, I got a Bible. Um, it must have been like an NIV or something. And I was reading the Bible uh, on occasion. And one night I was reading the Gospel of Matthew. I was in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't remember exactly where. But while I was reading the Gospel of Matthew on my waterbed, this is the, you know. Yes, waterbeds in the, the 80s. 80s. Yeah. Um, I went from being confused about Jesus to confessing Christ in a second. I mean, it went from, it went from dread and despair to conviction and assurance. Like, like in just a second, I, I believed it was, I mean, it was world changing for me. I mean, nothing was going on. I was literally in my room listening to metal, which I still do to this day while I'm preparing sermons. Um, and I was changed. I rolled off my bed, started praying irreverently. Wow. Um, and I, I thought, I can't tell anybody because no one's going to believe that I'm a real Christian. They'll think I'm just trying to get with that girl. But I couldn't hold it in. After about two weeks, I started telling everybody. And um, So what age parent, were you at this point? Uh, 18, going 18, on 19, okay. yeah. And, you know, my parents were happy because I wasn't dark and, and you know, depressed or whatever anymore. Um, they were, I could have become a Scientologist and worship John Travolta and they would be just as happy, right? They don't, sure. they don't know. They're just, they just want their boy to be happy. Uh, but uh, once they figured out it wasn't a phase, then they began to really wrestle with the message. Uh, my father wouldn't be converted for 19 more years. Uh, my mom, I think it took her about nine years wow. before she was converted. Um, and my sister was converted before that. So I was the first Christian in my family. But um, so, yeah, man, that was, uh, that's, the, that's the shortest story. It was um, just people, kind people, uh, not being afraid to befriend me, even though I was a train wreck. And just patiently telling me about Jesus and the gospel. And of course, you know, they, they all mess up like we all do with evangelists. We all say dumb things or use bad analogies or whatever. Right. But you, you, you can't stop the spirit. You, know, right. you, you can't interrupt God's plan. And so I remember, I remember this girl, um, she said, uh, she sat me down after she told me about Jesus. You know, one of the times we were hanging out at her house and she pulls out this album. And there's this guy on the album with a perm. And it's super cheesy. <laughs> and she's like, this is Michael W. Smith. Yes. And I went, I was like, oh, so he's gay? And she's like, no, why? I'm like, well, he looks super gay. And she's like, no, he's a Christian. Anyways, just listen to this song called Rocket Town. And she's trying to relate to the bad kid. And Man, I'm like, I, I could play that song on piano in high school, Joe. Well, listen, it's just the, to anybody who's ever been in serious trouble, it's the cheesiest song that does not connect at all. Sure. And I was like, girl, that, 
just no, just you can tell me about Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't, don't play Rocket Town again. It's too bad. Um, then I was converted and, uh, and, you know, really came to appreciate a lot of Christian music and um, hymns in particular. But uh, yeah. even, even like I, I discovered that, oh, there's Christian metal. And a couple of the bands are actually really good. Yeah. Uh, so God used a lot of different people to encourage me and kind of guide me and some mature older Christians to point me in the right direction so that I stayed grounded in the word. But I mean, yeah. listen, man, when I was converted, I didn't know the story of David and Bathsheba. I didn't sure. know the story of Cain and Abel. I didn't know anything. Sure. So I had a lot of reading to do. I, I just, I read the Bible all the time over and over. I went to every Bible study I could. I would go to my church and I'd go to other people's churches on other nights and listen to Christian radio all the time trying to figure out this faith that was so new to me. Yeah. Wow. That is a, that is a beautiful testimony, man. So you felt like in, you were converted in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the Puritans make this point when they talk about conversion and evangelism that in one sense, we're all converted in an instant, right? You go right. from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive in a heartbeat, the first heartbeat, right? Um, but they would also say no one's converted in an instant. It takes time. God prepares the soul over a period of time. You hear the gospel, you hear the law, you deal with convictions, and you're, you know, sometimes we try to reform our lives in response to that, but we realize it doesn't take away our guilt. And there's a process. And for some people, that time period is a couple of weeks. For some people like me, it's a year. Uh, for some people, it's like 19 years, like my dad. So uh, yeah, I but I remember when it happened. I <laughs> not everybody does. I remember believing in Jesus that moment. It was crazy. Yeah. So Joe, when you say you were into Satanism, like what does that mean? Well, there are different kinds of Satanism. Um, the most popular kind of Satanism that I first got, uh, got into was uh, Levian Satanism. Uh, Anton LaVey uh, wrote a book called The Satanic Bible in 1969. Um, and that brand of atheism is atheistic. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the devil. Uh, they like the devil as an icon of the adversary. And they particularly hate religion and Christianity in particular because they view Christianity as hypocritical um, and, as, as, and very restrictive over our nature, which in a sense it is <laughs> because our natures are corrupt. Exactly. But, you know, LaVey uh, stole a bunch of, um, of his stuff from Aleister Crowley um, and kind of built this, this atheistic magic religion that appealed to me. And the appeal was, you know, if I go down this road, I am my own God and I can get what I want in life. And so, so it's you know, not like worshiping Satan as much as just worshiping yourself. Yeah. The highest holiday in, or unholy day in the Levian branch of Satanism is your birthday. Gotcha. It's not Halloween. Now, Samhain is, is a, a big one, but your birthday is, but that only took me so far and I did get a lot of what I wanted, but uh, I transitioned from that because ultimately I do believe in a God. I did believe in a God, but I more believed in the devil. In fact, what I tell people is I believed in the devil long before I believed in God. And I began moving away from atheistic Satanism to theistic Satanism where I actually did uh, worship the, you know, this other God that, you know, we understood to be Lucifer. And you've, and we viewed him as, as the legit God, the true God, the, the God that's not trying to rob you of joy, who's not trying to oppress you, uh, but the God who wants to liberate you so that you can be your true self. It's a very, both versions of Satanism are very American in that it appeals to the self. It's both are essentially a kind of selfism as religion. Yeah. 
And I guess that makes sense because wouldn't the, like, you would think that that would be Satan's agenda anyway, you know? In the garden, right? Yeah. God just doesn't want you to be wise. Right. God's just trying to hold you back. Yeah. You get, don't listen to that fool. Yeah, yeah. Just come, listen to me. Yep. I'm not a fool. Right. <laughs> I'm right. on your side. Right. It's appealing. It, it resonates with our fallen nature in the flesh. We're like, yeah, that's right. I should be taking care. I should be looking out for number one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the Satanism that, you know, when we were kids in the 80s, there was kind of like the satanic scares and on all the talk shows. You don't hear yep. about that stuff anymore as much. Mm-hmm. I know it's out there, but it seems like the devil's philosophy would rather have you him just be just ambivalence you know what i yeah. mean or apathy apathy is way better than passionate like satanism mm-hmm. you know what i mean i don't know i just i don't know much about it I, that's why i asked i'm just curious if the de- man if the devil shows up you know looking like uh, tim roth from uh, legend with the big <laughs> horns and the scary red face and the pecs and abs then no, ain't nobody gonna worship that guy right. or very few the dummies right. like i would but if the devil shows up looking like Keanu Reeves, sure, and he's like, "Hey, man, what's up?" Yeah. And who doesn't like Keanu Reeves? Right. I love Keanu Reeves. Sure, and it's like, well, that's that's more palatable. But it's the same message; it's just mm-hmm. a different packaging. Right. So yeah, the, the whole the, the the thing that really bothered me when I became a Christian was coming out of the satanic panic, which was a real problem. People were finding Satanism where it wasn't. What really bothered me were so-called Christian experts on Satanism talking about the dangers of Satanism, and it was obvious that none of them or I should say, some of the ones that I watched that were well-known did not know what they were talking about. Some of them were outright lying and were charlatans, um, like Mike Warnke, for example. Right, right. Um, I went to one of his concerts one time. We all listened to him or went to his concerts, but eventually I'm like, this guy, he's full of baloney. And then he was exposed in Cornerstone Magazine and the whole thing came out. Right, right. Yeah, there was that one guy, uh, I think he had red hair. Yeah. And um, he like would cast out demons over the phone and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what was that guy's name? I don't remember. Bob? Bob something. I remember yeah. I would listen to that on the radio. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, Carmen had a better take on the devil than those guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all listened to Carmen too back in the day. Yeah, I mean, dude, like I'm the old guy at my church. And so these like 80s Christian references for most people are just like- <laughs> They're like, who's this Carmen? Who, what are you who, talking about? Who's Carmen? And- you yeah. know what happened? I was, uh, when, before I was converted, I worked at a tire shop. I was a tire buster, which means you take the tires off, put new tires on the rims, put them back on. So all through high school. And in high school, I only like junior and senior year, I only went to school like for a couple of classes during the day. And then they let me work a full-time job because I wasn't going to graduate other. I mean, otherwise I was, you know, so I went to for like English and gym and one other class. And then I left to go work. So I left work one day. I went across the street to Sally's Subhouse and got like a pizza puff or something. And I'm standing there waiting for it. And while I'm waiting, I'm drawing out a, uh, a metal band's logo on their order pad, right? And, um, and this guy comes over and he's like, oh, you like metal? And I'm like, yeah, man, it's metal's life. I love metal. And he's like, I got something for you. And he gives me a tape. He goes, go back over there to your shop and plug this in. Listen to it. It's, it's like thrash. It's really good. I'm like, okay. And he goes, it's a Christian band. And normally I would have thrown the tape at him, but I'd been hearing the gospel and I'd been around these Christians and they were sure. cool. I knew he meant well. So I took it back and it was Baron Cross. I remember I them. You know who Bar- yeah. I remember them. So I plugged in Baron Cross and it starts off with an audio clip from an old Christian movie called A Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. With a news broadcast is talking about the rapture and thousands of people have suddenly disappeared or millions of people have suddenly disappeared. So we're listening to it. Me and my buddy, Eddie, we're listening to it. And that's what starts. And then kicks in with the great uh, you know, thrash riff. And he goes... 
what was that? And I said, that's called the raption. Because I wasn't exactly <laughs> sure how to say it. I was like, it's like the raption. And he's like, what's the raption? I go, that's when um, Jesus takes away all the Christians and then lets hell break loose here. And he's like, are we going to be raptioned? And I'm like, no, man, we're getting, we're getting hell. That's what we're getting. He's like, all right. And then we just went back to, to busting tires and listening to that metal. Anyways, that guy is a deacon at our church. Who wow. gave me that tape. That's awesome, man. Yeah, tapes. 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 We, we, had, we were the worst generation for, we had great music, but terrible media. Yes. Tapes were just, oh my gosh. What yeah. a, when I became a Christian, I threw away thousands of dollars worth of metal, which yep. God doesn't make you do. I chose to do it. Yep. But looking back, I was like, yeah, there were tapes anyways. They weren't going to last. Exactly. Yeah. I used to I'm glad, wear I'm glad it wasn't vinyl. tapes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they'd get quieter and quieter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they would like get stringy and you'd have to get the pencil and reel them back in. But kids don't know the struggle. They don't. Hey, it was very real. Joe, man, I, I just really appreciate you sharing your testimony. Um, and I just love to hear that God still converts people. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, he does. And um, I'm just praying that he would, that we would just see the dead brought to life spiritually in St. Charles and in Madison. Mm -hmm. And um, Lord, we just ask you to do it again um, and keep doing it. It's not hard for him. That's what's so crazy. You know what I mean? Like it's an impossible thing for us to bring. Yeah. To bring someone from death to life, right. to change a heart. You can't change a heart. You can change right. habits, right. but not only can God do it, it's not hard for him to do it. It takes right. divine power, but he has limitless power. Right. And I, I still think we fall. I know I do fall into the trap of like, well, okay, that guy is going to be a tough I mean, God's going to, I don't know. God's probably never going to convert yeah, that guy. He's exactly, too far right, gone. Right, exactly. And it's like, no, he, that, that's what he does. He, he converted Paul. Um, he converted us. Yeah. And neither one was hard for God to do. And that's why, I, I mean, we should be praying for revival. We should be, um, you know, sharing the gospel earnestly, eagerly, uh, optimistically. Even, you know, I think it's kind of cool these days to be pessimistic, but and I'm not naturally an optimist, but I am always genuinely hopeful that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Mm -hmm. Amen. Bring, bring, bring the dead to life. It's awesome. Amen. Amen. Do you have hope for our culture, like our, our American culture, as you're thinking about what's gone down in the last couple of years and you look to the future? I think um, we have seen, even in American culture, uh, things go from worse to better. And we've seen things go from better to worse, right? Um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade was a horror. Right. It was as evil as evil can be demonstrated, right? Amen. It, that's, I mean, it's just horrible because with that came pedophilia, rape, and all kinds of things, right? right. So it was just this awful thing. But we knocked it down. We, we, we in America, and slavery still exists, but we untangled and, and dismantled slavery. That's a great thing. So there you see progress being made. Right. And then we had stupid Jim Crow laws and other forms of oppression, and we got rid of those. Um, and so when I see things like abortion, which is another kind of Holocaust, right. um, I, I, I've always maintained that it's possible. Like we figured things out in the past. We could figure things out again. And I have seen culturally more and more people and in increasing numbers of young people and minorities move towards a more conservative worldview when it comes to politics, not just economics, um, but like individual liberty and freedom and things like that. 
But those last couple of years, man, it's um, I'm probably in a place where I'm less hopeful for our culture than yeah. I have been in the past because I just don't outside of an, of a great awakening, right. which we are very due for, you know, God has done large scale revivals and awakenings throughout history in America, even for regional stuff. It's been like a hundred plus years Yep, and it we're due, we need it. And I know God can do it. I think if that happens, it could spark some sort of, of uh, movement culturally, but honestly, I'm not the guy. This is one of the differences I have with a lot of X 29 churches. Um, I, 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 I think the idea like we're going to change the city is a farce. I don't think churches change cities. I think the gospel changes minds and hearts Mm -hmm. and people are converted and that produces some level of change. But historically, by and large, what we see is uh, the stronger and healthier the church, the more they are maligned, the more they are isolated, the more they are persecuted. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think... I don't think it's our job to transform the city. Um, I understand the, the sympathy, and I, I'm sympathetic towards the idea, but I, I, I really don't think that it's going to happen. Um, I, I think we're going to see lives changed, and that can produce some change in the culture. But yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm the, sympathetic the to what you're saying there, Joe. Like, it just sounds a little grandiose. Grandiose. You know, mm-hmm. like my job is to love God and love my neighbor and loving my neighbor yep. is going to mean I share my faith. And mm-hmm. sometimes loving my neighbor might be meaning I'm going to get involved in some civic things. Yes. And absolutely. some people are called to uh, work on city council or the school yep. board. And and some people are going to be uniquely gifted to lead in ways that bring about some really cool change in the civic sphere as mm-hmm. a Christian. Yeah. Um, that's not me. I don't think at this point, but, but like, like you said, like, will the whole city be changed? Well, I don't know. And I'm not in control of that, but I want to be faithful to what I'm doing. And I want to lead a church that's faithful to what it's doing as a, as a people. But maybe it's, maybe it's that, and maybe another way, cause I'm just thinking out loud, but maybe one of the ways that it does happen is that Christians oftentimes, wind up having a vocal voice among others in the culture. And oftentimes we spearhead a particular issue because it is so important to, um, to the heart of God. Right. So like Christians were instrumental Baptists in particular with religious freedom in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, we really wouldn't have it without Baptists. I don't think. And, um, and historically like when the country was founded. Yeah. 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 Baptists were the guys that were pushing for, Hey, you want to be a Jew, you want to be a Muslim, you want to be an atheist, I want to be a Christian. We can all be we can all chill yep. in the public sphere and allow for that. Well, I'm gonna try and convert you as yep. an individual, and you're gonna try and and get me to renounce my faith. That's all fair game, but the government's not going to oppress us. Right. Baptists were big in that, and of course, Christians were hugely involved in the abolition of the slave trade. I think Christians could be very vital and could really be used by the Lord to bring abortion to an end in this country in the way that, you know, in a similar way to the, the, that how slavery was brought to an end. But those are unique circumstances in particular times. It's I don't think it's normative. Yeah. And there's recent examples of just like foster care, yeah. like Christians getting together um, in a unified way and making a huge dent in the foster care Mm-hmm. population of a city. I've heard of that happening in Denver and I think in Oregon or something like that. So it's like, I think what we both agree on, Joe, is like 
Christians could get together and make a difference in a huge way in, in the city. Is the city going to become somehow a theonomy? Probably not. You know I hope I mean? not. <laughs> exactly. That has not worked historically when we try yeah. to Christianize uh, the city. Right. Things go bad for, for people. Yeah. I mean, how, what's, what's more dangerous, murder or heresy? Yeah. Well, heresy sent somebody to hell. Yeah. So well, how do you punish heresy? Capital punishment. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's, that's what's happened in the past when you've mixed church and state with, you know, Christians yeah, in amen. control of the times. Amen. And that makes me, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, don't, not, I haven't, I, I don't know much about theonomy and I, I don't plan to go do, do a deep dive on that anytime soon. But, um, but yeah, man, like I think the thing for me when it comes to our culture that I'm just praying through and thinking through, and ultimately I have no control over any of this. But it seems like in the last four years or so, and maybe it's always there, had, has always been there, but the Trump phenomenon just made everything more stark and black and white. But the, it feels like in my lifetime, we've never been more divided. And maybe yeah. that's just because the internet gives us access to one another in a way that we never had before. Or maybe it's really true. But it just seems like the anger is increasing, the intensity is increasing, the... Um, the rhetoric is increasing. Everything yeah. is absolutized. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's no nuance. And, and, and what I'm concerned about, man, is like, there's like the revenge impulse that is mm-hmm. strong in human nature, like the Israeli Palestinian conflict. At some point, one side has to just say, I'm going to absorb the blow and, and start to figure out forgiveness. But that seems like something that is uniquely Christian. And um, now, of course, there's examples of that from non-Christians. But like ultimately, on a, on a large scale, who has the capability to absorb the blow? Christians do, right? But if there's, right now, there's like this left and this right, and both of them are so deeply entrenched, and both of them think that the other side is the devil, like almost that kind of language. How do you get yourself out of that without the power of the Holy Spirit? Like, that's what I'm wondering. You know what I mean? And you you have to, it's, I think the only choices are you stop caring, which is not Christian. Yeah. Apathy. um, Yeah. Or you have to say, you know what? The left and the right are just the two hands of the devil. (laughs) And, and we're called to something that is above that. And so at times we're going to be, in part aligned with the right, or we might be aligned with the left in part. Sure. But neither one is our, is our people. Right. Like we, we belong to a different kingdom. We have a different King. We have a different ethic. Right. And if you want to know, if you really want to know like how, how lockstep we are with a particular group, just start sharing Christian virtues, forget the doctrine, mm-hmm. start sharing the values that the Bible commands us to hold. Uh, and that will put us at odds with everybody. I mean, it's, people forget that, uh, and sometimes it's our own fault that we're, we're not just opposed to homosexual sin. We're opposed to all sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Right. So like hooking up is a deadly game and it is grossly immoral and it condemns people like every other sin. Right. We are weird. Yes. We don't fit in, in this world. Right. So, yeah, I think when there's an important issue, we can, I think, partner with people for, for different reasons as, as citizens of this world, citizens of the kingdom and citizens of the world. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, you mentioned social media and the internet. 
the lack of charity from many Christians on social media is astounding to me. Yeah. The, um, you know, and I've, I've definitely, well, I mean, we've all misspoken, but I've had people come after me really, really hard on the internet. And then I run into them somewhere and I like, I'm like, what's up? And they're like, Hey man, what's going on? And I'm like, well, you had a lot of, lot to say on the internet. What about now? Yeah. And I'm not challenging them to a fight or anything. I just want, but like, they're, they're not the same person. Right. It's like, you know, they, there is a fleshly indulgence that we give ourselves on social media because of the distance between ourselves and the actual person. Right. And Louis C.K. used to talk about this years ago. I know I shouldn't talk about Louis C.K. because he was canceled for being a perv, but um, he made some really good points. And one of the things that he said was, is, you know, it used to be, you know, if you insulted somebody and you said something really, really mean, you would see their face break and you would see tears come down their eyes. And if you had a heart, you'd feel really bad. Right. You'd apologize. But online, you don't see the heartbreak. You don't see the tears and you're just encouraged to keep going. And then you're cheered on by countless other people who aren't connected either. Uh, so I do think that that does play a big role. I'm with you. I think it's a combination of things. I think the internet is a wonderful gift, but it's also a, an, an evil yeah. tool. And I, I think there is, there, there is something going on culturally where we are more divided in this country than ever before. And in many cases when there's no reason for it, I mean, yeah. some of the stuff that we're fighting over, some of the fights that people are picking and some of the offenses that people are taking up are literally nothing. Yeah. Some are serious and we need to take them very seriously, but Absolutely. others are just much ado about nothing. Yeah, man. I, and, and, and honestly where the culture goes in my lifetime or in the lifetime of my grandkids, like doesn't change our job description one bit, mm -hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? And um, I love my country, and I love yeah. living here. But um, you know, kingdoms rise and fall. God's word stands forever. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah. and so I want to just hang my hat there. And there's only so much I can control. You know, like that's one of the dangers I think of the time and space we live in when I have access to everything that's going on in the world, and that access right. sits in my pocket on this device. Yeah. And I just emotionally, like, as I've gotten older, Joe, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past, like, for the sake of my san literal sanity as a human being, mm -hmm. I only have so much emotional bandwidth. And when I read about some atrocity happening across the world or the shootings that just happened in, in, in the South, in, um, it was Atlanta, right? And uh, I don't, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on where, but yeah, I, I saw that. Um, and then just, just uh, yesterday in Colorado and Colorado, it's just like emotionally, I can't handle that. And, and God yet doesn't call me to deal with stuff in Colorado because I don't live in Colorado, but he does call me to be a, a, a husband, a father mm -hmm. and a shepherd yeah. of the local church. And that right there is enough emotional energy that needs to be put out that I need to budget my emotional bandwidth. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, and I totally so, man, agree. I've just discovered like more than anything, like the less I'm dialed in, the more healthy I feel. Now, of mm -hmm. course you can take that to an extreme. Don't hear what I'm not saying, yep. but so many of us, myself included, I think if we took our intake of the internet down to 90% less, we probably find a lot more emotional health 
is my yeah. and spiritual health, you know. Oh, I totally agree. You you probably be, you would probably be more connected to the real people in your life. Exactly. There, there there have been people, I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago talking about how you know, what we call news is not news. You know, even cuz like we focus on these tragedies, we focus on the violence and and what's awful. And there's obviously a place for that. We we need to cover that stuff, but you know, covering a a, a shooting on the other side of the country uh, may not be relevant to somebody in the Midwest. I mean, right. not really uh, actually relevant to their life. Now it could be, it could relate to a systemic problem going on in, in the judicial system or whatever, but it, it really like the news uh, cycle is about sensationalism, titillation and all of that. And it is a burden that mm -hmm. the information overload itself is a burden. We have more information than ever and we're dumber than ever, I feel like. Yeah. But the, 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 the news plays to our fears and insecurities and wants us to uh, you know, latch on and, and not let go. It's, because it's how they it's, make their money. Exactly. Because it's driven by money. And that's a real, real problem, I think, in our culture. Um, because lots of people get paid because fear sells. Um, I'm not going to go off on that. Hey, Joe, before we go, I want you to tell us about one of your books that I really love. Okay. Um, the book is Bob called... Bob and the Honeybee. Is that the one? <laughs> it's the children's book I wrote? No. Bob and the Honeybee? Oh, no, cool. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Yeah, but I am Google. familiar with a book called um, Note to Self. Tell us about Note to Self and um, what can folks at the Vine Church expect um, when they pick that book up? It's essentially a devotional so if you like a devotional, I'm not going to equate it with something like Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Um, but if you like that sort of a thing, then Note to Self could be an encouragement. Um, what it essentially is, is um, uh, an introduction where I explain what it means to preach to yourself. That um, we're not just called to read the Bible, uh, but to read it and then apply it to our lives. To preach to ourselves is essentially to meditate on Scripture and to dig deep into it and find very specific ways that it intersects with uh, and confronts and heals um, our own hearts and our lives. And that means that, you know, you're preaching both the law, the commands of God and the gospel, the promises of God. So I explain what it means to preach to yourself in the introduction. Uh, Sam Storms has a great uh, preface in there on the functional authority of scripture. Uh, that alone is worth the price of the book. Mm. Uh, but then you've just got a bunch of, uh, of small devotions, about a page, page and a half each. And uh, it's essentially, those are, those are things that I would pull out of my journal, essentially, right? It's, it's where I have a passage of scripture at the top, and then I address myself with that passage. So, on the one hand, it's a it's a devotional that you can read, but it's also a model to follow so that you learn how to preach to yourself when you're engaging scripture so that you actually do this on your own. You don't have to rely on devotionals. You can be doing that on your own uh, as you're reading scripture and you pick up a pen or a pencil. So is this kind of like a means to help us form a Christian identity? Well, I think, the, the, yeah, it, it would play a role in that. I mean, the Word of God is uh, is what helps to inform our identity, uh, united to Christ, governed by the Word, uh, filled and led by the Spirit, Yep. all of that. Um, yeah, the, 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 the more we um, read and, and take in and dwell on the Word, uh, 
it, it doesn't just give us more information. It's what God actually uses to change us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus in John 17, 17 prays that we would be sanctified uh, in the truth. By your truth, yep. Yeah, your, your word, word is truth. Is truth. Yep. And 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and other places demonstrate that God uses, and it's more specifically God the Holy Spirit, uses the ministry of the word, the intake of the word, to actually change us to become the people he's designed us to be. And you, you, you're you not going to experience that without the word. And it doesn't mean that you always have to be in the word. I think some people misunderstand. You don't always have to be in the word, but you do always need the word in you. And that happens by when you do read it, you take it with you. You hide it in your heart. You you visit it and revisit it. And so maybe you read on Monday and you're not reading it on Tuesday, but you're still meditating on what you read on Monday on yeah, Tuesday. Yep. Yeah, Joe, that's really, really helpful. And, I, and I've heard a lot of people really praise that book. I mean, it came out, what, six, seven years ago? Uh, 2007. Oh, wow. <laughs> so 14 years ago? No. Think, wait, no, 2011. Okay. 2011. So That's when it was. Yeah. 2011. Yeah. Because yeah. then I had like a mental breakdown in 2012. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and I want to have you back, Joe, because we, sure. we didn't have time to um, talk about that today, but I'd love for you to share your testimony about that. And I could share my testimony about that because we've yeah, experienced a uh, breakdown. We're um, both weak, frail men yep, who yep. only have strength in Jesus. Amen. And just Done. coming to the end of yourself. Um, that's happened to you. That's happened to me in very tangible Mm -hmm. ways that not everybody experiences, but I think it'd be good to have another episode where we talk about that, but not for today. Um, Anytime, man. I love you. I love your ministry, man. Like I'm, I'm always down to hang out and talk whether it's uh, recorded or not. Yeah, me too, Joe. I really, really appreciate you. And it's, I wish you're one of those guys. I wish I could hang out with more. Um, but, uh, you and your beard, man, it's, it's intense. Too bad. This isn't a video podcast, but I just trimmed it up. It's nice and conservative <laughs> now. This is good. It's presentable. I uh, love it, man. Well, Joe, um, we should call it good there. And, um, man, I just so appreciate you coming and sharing, um, some thoughts and encouragements to the people of the vine. Yeah, man. Love you guys. So happy to hear about the vine and what's going on there in Madison. Um, Just stay close to Jesus. Stay faithful, man. And we'll keep praying for you. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you.